Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of The Gradient Podcast. We interview various people who research, build, use, or think about AI, including academics, engineers, artists, entrepreneurs, and more. I'm your host, Sharon Joe. Today, we'll be having Lieutenant General Jack Shanahan, who was recently retired from the United States Air Force after a 36-year military career. His final assignment was as the inaugural director of the U.S. DOD, Department of Defense, the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, or the JAKE. And as the first director of the Algorithmic Warfare Cross-Functional Team, also known as Project Maven, Jack established and led the DOD's Pathfinder AI fielding program, charged with bringing AI capabilities to intelligence collection and analysis. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jack. Thank you, Sharon. I am so happy to join you for this today. And this is going to be different, isn't it? I think we're going to end up interviewing each other, which I don't know if that uh, happened on the gradient before, but... I'm looking forward to it. That's right. Let's get a little creative. Why not? <laughs> um, we're collaborating together. So I think that's a bit wide that uh, that format will work just right. Um, perhaps we can start with quick intros. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself and your family, Jack. Well, I retired from the United States Air Force in the summer of 2020 after 36 years in uniform. And since then, I went back and got another master's degree in North Carolina State University. I just graduated from there. So that was two years from retirement. Now I'm just doing a lot of uh, variety of, of work related to artificial intelligence and national security and the intersection of those two two things. Um, and Small I agree. Uh, what's things. that? Oh, yeah. Small, small things. <laughs> Huge things, Jack. They've kept me very interested uh, in the tail end of my career. I wasn't an AI person. Uh, not, not surprisingly. So in my last four years between the Project Maven and this thing called the, the Department of Defense Joint AI Center, I got involved in AI. Uh, and that's how I got here. But but I want to return the favorite. You tell me a little bit about yourself and your family. <laughs> okay. Well, I had really non-technical beginnings uh, and I had this mission to make difficult systems easy to use and easy to understand by everyone. Um, but since then, you know, I've actually gotten a PhD in AI at Stanford with Andrew Ng. Uh, and AI to me seems magical and also the type of difficult system I want to make easy to use and understand by everyone. And I love chatting with people and also explaining AI to a whole bunch of people, including the 40,000 students I have on Coursera and as well as policymakers um, that we, you know, we jointly spoke to at some point uh, about AI and AI and government. That's what, this, is what, this is what I love about the conversation. So very casually, you say you got a PhD and Andrew Ng was your advisor and you've got 40,000 students on Coursera. I have none of those things. You know, I I have 36 years in the military and I got to wear three stars, but I I, I don't know. I might trade that for, for what you just described right there. But uh, in terms of sort of, you know, your PhD and the work you've done since then, what are you most interested in and kind of what's driving your research right now on things related to AI? Yeah, so uh, I, I, I'm very excited by generative AI. So um, I'm, I'm in stealth right now when it comes to a startup, uh, but uh, I'll, I'll point out a sneak peek of a side project uh, that is related to the gradient, actually, that we'll, we'll put out uh, together, which combines many types of generative AI. We're going to be generating stories with AI, and then we're going to have AI narrate those stories, and then we're going to have AI illustrate those stories. 
Um, and also on a daily basis, I've been using generative AI um, to help me code using Copilot. And I've been using Dolly, which is OpenAI's uh, big uh, AI model that goes from natural language to uh, uh, art and images. And I've been doing that, you know, fun with friends. And overall, I'm kind of relieved my parents finally know what I'm working on. <laughs> <laughs> but but in the middle of that conversation, you also mentioned you're you're having a you're you're working on a startup. So if you didn't have enough that you were working on, you're also trying to bring a startup. And and having worked with startups now for uh, my time in the, the Department of Defense. I, I feel like I, I was the, uh, like, I know I'm hesitate to say this. People will have a hard time believing it. The CEO of two AI startups in the Department of Defense. I say that a little tongue in cheek because I didn't have to go out and get venture capital funding. I had this thing called Congress that was willing to, to write checks, but I still had to convince them on behalf of the taxpayers that it was worth doing. So I am just fascinated by people who are willing to go and make this plunge into the startup world. How's it going? What do you think about it? I mean, has it been, has it been what you expect? Harder, easier, a little bit of everything all at once. A little bit of everything all at once, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a really fun time. And I know you're trying to downplay all of what you're doing, but you really did pioneer the DOD's initiatives into AI and also industry collaborations. Um, and I think that's a, that's a huge effort in changing perceptions, changing behavior in the DOD. Um, I'm curious to hear also about just what challenges did you have to overcome? What, what challenges actually still persist and that you think still need to be addressed? Well, you know, this is such an important topic. It was at the heart of, of my journey beginning with, with Project Maven in 2016, 2017. And then I took the lessons I, I learned from there into standing up the DOD Joint AI Center. And this, the thing that you're talking about is what, what is different? Well, to me, the world got turned on its head in the last 20 years when the Department of Defense was relying on a number of big defense contract companies and the defense industrial base. I mean, it's what drove the Department of Defense for the last 60, 70 years. But but all of a sudden, when you get these emerging and disruptive technologies, and especially artificial intelligence, machine learning, and, and different components thereof, it was coming out of commercial industry. I mean, you could go back to the early days of Silicon Valley, where the funding was was coming from places like DARPA, which gave sort of a, a boost to to the to the companies that really became known for for being who they were in Silicon Valley. But now, a lot of that technology, at least the ones that are ready for fielding, as opposed to sort of the deep research and some of the military research labs, it's coming from commercial industry. So we took a commercial first philosophy in Maven, and I took that with me to, to Jake. And by that, I mean, we went with companies as opposed to the Department of Defense. They were eager. They had technology that was ready to go. It had to be adapted for the Department of Defense. But I'll tell you, there were a lot of people who either didn't understand that the world had changed or they were reluctant to accept that the world had changed, especially at more senior levels. At the younger levels of, of the military services, they were eager for this. They'd been using these technologies in their daily lives, and they 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 were they were frustrated, but it, that it wasn't coming into the department nearly fast enough. So I'd like to say we shook the model up quite a bit by going with commercial companies first, and uh, I'm happy to say that that's only accelerated over over the last few years. So I'm proud of that piece of it. That's right. And uh, a lot of us, you know, listeners here uh, know what Project Maven is, but actually a lot might not actually know what Project Maven is. Could you describe Project Maven and, and what happened? Yes. Yeah, so, oh, this is okay. How much time do we have here? <laughs> um, so Project Maven was, we were at the, the formal term that, that we were named was the Algorithmic Warfare Cross-Functional Team. It was designed to be the first 
project in the department to bring AI into fielding, so beyond the research, beyond the development, beyond the laboratory, and bring things into field, primarily for intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, full motion video coming from drones and satellites and, and other capabilities that we had. And it, the analysts that we were trying to support never had enough hours in the day. It was a standard story of way too, too much information, not enough time in the day to look at it, mind-numbing work, really difficult. And as soon as we asked commercial industry if they had solutions available, I said, of course we do. Computer vision, natural language processing, they said, it's here, it's here for the taking. So Project Maven was designed to augment, accelerate, and, and eventually automate some of these tasks for humans to uh, to get through this, this, um, these enormous amounts of, of data. That's what it was designed to do. And so we brought in a bunch of startup companies, four to begin with. Google, of course, was the, the next big company we, we, we put on contract to solve one of our wicked hard problems, which is wide area motion imagery, just, just looking at an entire city simultaneously. So, um, you know, as, as, as we went down this path, um, there began to be a little bit of a, a problem in the company in terms of um, who knew about the project, what it was about. About exactly what we were trying to do and why. And that resulted over about the course of a year and a half with uh, employees in the, in the company protesting against this business that Google was doing with Project Maven. And at the end of the contract, Project Maven, uh, Google elected not to renew their contract with Project Maven. They didn't, they didn't terminate earlier. They didn't walk away. They just decided not to renew the contract. But what this whole episode highlighted at the time was that we have a divide, in, in, maybe not as bad as sometimes portrayed, between the government and Silicon Valley tech industry. So what I want to do, Sharon, is I'll come back to you on this because we've talked about this divide. And I want to, you know, from you, you're, you're part of the tech industry, not only the tech industry, but the most cutting edge part of the tech industry. In the past, have you ever thought much about the relationship between the tech industry and the U.S. government, you know, especially Department of Defense, the military, the people around you? Did they talk about it? Did you have any thoughts about it until you started to hear about Maven maybe a little bit later down the road? So I, I was at Google right before the media picked up on Maven, um, and it was really the seed of the schism that we see now because beforehand, it, the government was mainly Oh, that's a potential customer, um, you know, slow, slower moving one. Um, but it is, you know, potential collaboration, but it was less of giant schism. And I think Maven really became that and the media really exacerbated that. Uh, and I, I think a lot about the spectrum of tech companies, actually. So Google, uh, you know, encourages some kind of bottoms up freedom of speech approach of having the employees really speak up about things, whereas Microsoft and Amazon um, doesn't have that as a case. And I think it's a double-edged sword, quite frankly, because I think the tension in the Valley really is between, on the one hand, engineers want to you know, follow essentially what you doctors kind of follow of a Hippocratic oath before engineering of do no harm. You know, Google has don't do evil as their former motto. Uh, and then there's also just getting alignment from employees on the purpose of the company and defining that really like what is the purpose of, of the company? And if you say it's don't do evil, well, good and evil it is, you know, really hard to define and interpret because the reality is gray and contradictory. So people are not going to um, necessarily agree on this. That being said, you know, Google, Google's culture, um, their innovation really does come from bottoms up, like Google, uh, Google Maps, Gmail, all came from kind of a bottoms up initiative. Um, 
But that, you know, uncertain, ambiguous, amoeba-like definition results in other problems, such as um, actually very similarly, uh, the most recent uh, leak around the AI sentience problem, which mm. uh, many of us think is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, this is not... This is not actually what's happening. Why is this happening? <laughs> um, well, well, so but so that that really brings up a couple of points here um, that that I live for. First of all, I love your answer on this because what I what my I have a thesis here. My thesis is these worlds are more aligned than than they're portrayed often, but. We don't, we don't talk to each other enough to say, why do you see the world that way? I mean, if you go back to why did we, why did we work so hard to get Google on contract? Because they had the best software engineers in the world for the problem that we couldn't solve anywhere else. Uh, I understand differences of opinion, right? I, I, I would be shocked if a co- any company anywhere did not have some process to review. Do we work with this customer, and what are the boundaries? What are the what are the guardrails? What are the red lines of working with them? I mean, people always have concerns and always will have concerns about lethal autonomous weapon systems. What was confusing to us is we weren't working on lethal autonomous weapon system. We were working on a system that didn't have weapons on board. There was no facial recognition. We thought it was really almost basic level kind of work, just a very complicated data problem that we had to solve. So when when we had two two different communities who each see the world differently and they're not talking to each other other than at a, what we would say, you know, a C-suite or general officer level, we now are really talking past each other. And what you said about the media, I, I never blame the media. It's just a fact of life, but it did inflame things because the story started coming out faster and faster and people were getting publicity. And at the end of it, we just, we, I said, okay, but if you're going to, if you're going to leave the contract at this point, um, it's probably best for both sides now. Yeah, I really think it is about, um, as you're suggesting, finding common ground first. Uh, how how does the DOD actually frame the problem at large in terms of this collaboration? And um, how would you suggest trying to find common ground? I got, what I'd start with is I, I, you and I I yeah. think think very similar on this is there are got to be some areas where we agree with each other. Find those areas and then work up to maybe the more complicated pieces of it. My guess is some people in some of these companies would be surprised how seriously we do take this thing that we would call responsible AI, the ethical, safe, and lawful use of AI. It's not a bumper sticker to me. I stood up a responsible AI part of the Joint AI Center. Nobody told me to do it. Uh, Congress didn't legislate it. It's just I thought it was the right thing to do based on my experiences with Project Maven. So we do think about this. Now, it is the Department of Defense. It is the military. The military is in a business of fighting wars, but it doesn't mean that there aren't technology that any company could be involved in that are for the greater good, uh, whether it's medicine or finance, you know, you, predictive maintenance, a lot of things that could be done that are a long way from employing weapons. Now, if you're going in argument is, I just don't want to work with, with the military, period. Okay, that's, that's an argument as well. But why? And maybe that's the starting point is a conversation of, do we not have areas where we agree that the national security of the country is important to both of us? Uh, and you and I have this conversation, right? That's why we're doing this together. You think it's important. I think it's important. I respect and and I and I love listening to the views of those in the, in the tech company. And at the same time, I want to represent national security is so important. Would you at least consider what's the alternative? 
that nobody works with the Department of Defense. We try to do it ourselves um, with, with, without the support of the best technology companies in the world. I don't think that's a future that is really um, helpful to the advancement of, 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 of where the Department of Defense is going. So, I, you know, for you, I would turn that around and say, is it just AI-enabled weapon systems or autonomous weapon systems, the so-called killer robot that is, or is this a broader philosophical divide that will be harder to bridge than I think? I don't, I don't think so, but, you know, tell me what you, what you're, what you hear in the, in, in the industry day in, day out. I think the larger philosophical divide is coming from how the media is portraying things uh, because that gets more clicks, which is also, by the way, tech's fault <laughs> for uh, encouraging the media to do that. Well, it all um, comes back to you. <laughs> it's not entirely the tech's fault, but you, you know, you know, um, I, I'll blame, I'll blame myself for a bit. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so, like we said, it's about finding common ground. It's finding common ground on the purpose of mm. this technology and the purpose of these weapons, because, you know, autonomous weapons seem bad if deployed now, like at this very generic, abstract point of view. But what if we actually start thinking about real scenarios? Like, what about what about we're using these, we're developing these to reach a stalemate, to not be attacked? Um, I, I actually really <laughs> seared into my memory this comment that both you and Jason Matheny, who's now CEO of RAND, both brought up. Uh, if we don't figure this out, if we don't figure out this collaboration between the DOD and Silicon Valley, we might lose the next world war. Um, and that's not a great feeling for me. I feel very safe in the United States. And I haven't felt that in other countries that I've traveled to. Um, and being actually a U.S. citizen has helped me feel very safe in other places because I know that they won't do something to me because that would that would cause problems uh, geopolitically. Um, so I'd, I'd be very, very sad if that changes. And so, and to that point, Sharon, you know, the way I, I think about this is for 30 years, we've been in this war in the Middle East, but the American public largely has been insulated from that, right? It's not the Cold War. We don't, most people day in, day out, maybe 90% plus who, who have not served in the military, didn't know someone who served in the military, go on their daily lives. And it was just, hey, this thing is happening in Afghanistan, Iraq, and it just doesn't, it, it doesn't affect most people day in, day out. Whereas the Cold War would affected everybody uh, since World War II and beyond. It, it, everybody felt it. Now, as you said, you feel very safe. Well, why is that? Because we've built this 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 department of defense that is doing everything possible to to protect uh, the citizens but we also to do it right we need we need the technology that comes from these these commercial tech companies and isn't there a way we can sort of start at the point of where do we where do we agree and where do we disagree on this and if we find those areas where well i just I'll go back to the two words of trust and transparency, right? If I learned anything from the episode with, with Project Maven is both sides were not being nearly transparent enough. And, and we lost, if we ever had trust between each other, it was eroded by those articles, by refusing to talk with each other. I tried, but the Secretary of Defense at the time didn't want, want people out there talking to the media about anything. So that didn't help. And in the company, as you know, they didn't, they kept it fairly close hold inside the company. And it just began to get into a, a spiral that was very unhelpful. So I, I would say scenario-based is always a good approach, just like you were, you were talking about. Say, let's start with, what about this? What do you think about this? Wouldn't you be willing to help on this, but not this? There are, I think nobody's going to be, uh, nobody's going to be pushed back on the idea of, 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 
of red lines where we'll, we'll do this, but we won't do this. The idea of making a stark distinction of we will never work with the department, that's, that, that hurts. And so what can we do to, to, to help to, to help close that gap that exists. I think you and I see ways to do that, but I guess that will bring us to the next point of this is, okay, we've been talking about this. What are some ways we can do this? What, what are we thinking about doing that to help come after this, this problem? If it is as big of a problem, and I think it's less of a problem now than it was a couple of years ago, but it's still, it's still out there. So what, you know, what are we thinking about? Well, I think instead of further polarization, we're thinking we could start a discussion, right? Before the divide gets as bad as really, honestly, the, the two partisan sides in politics right now, we don't want to get to that point. So you mean something other than a Twitter discussion. Oh, right, right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that would definitely turn into uh, the, the exact scenario that we don't want. <laughs> So how, how do we do this? Yeah, what are we, what are we talking about? So first, you know, you and I have decided to work together. Why, yes. why, why did you, why did you decide to join with me? And, and I'll tell you why I decided to join with you. Well, I decided to join with you, Jack, because I did genuinely feel like the rhetoric in the Valley is, is not quite right uh, in terms of polarization. It's not going to help us. It's not going to help all of us, you know, and um, I, I really hope that starting a discussion will pull us together as as opposed to pull us apart, because I, I do think there is a danger to pulling us apart. And then if we view each other as adversarial, then there's no way the Department of Defense will act in any favor of what Silicon Valley wants to do at all. And that's that's dangerous for everyone, even if you completely disagree with a lot of the actions the DOD has done. Well, that's also because you haven't been part of it. If you haven't been informing it and you can also inform it instead of just avoid it. Um, so that, that's how I feel. Well, I, I so I really appreciate you saying the word adversarial because that's the issue right now, right? We can disagree professionally forever and that's okay. It's when it becomes adversarial that is going to degrade the relationship that to me is critical to the next 25 years. And I, the Department of Defense is struggling. I mean, honestly, it's struggling to adapt to this world of emerging disruptive technologies. As, as I was saying earlier, the, the, the best technology is coming in the fastest from commercial industry. If the department can't do that, then we're going to struggle to have the Department of Defense that's been so successful for the last, you know, since, since the end of World War II. So adversarial is a very bad place to be. Uh, I, and 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 I and I know some people have heard me say this before, but I'm actually glad the Google Maven discussion happened when it did because it opened up a box that needed to be open. We needed to be more public about why we didn't see things the same way. There were some people in Department of Defense, and still there today, shocked, absolutely shocked that a company would refuse to work with the Department of Defense. This isn't—I <laughs> mean, I say the company, but not you know—a a portion of employees in the company. On the other hand, I think there are some people in various companies who would never want to work with uh, anything that resembled autonomous weapon systems. So, okay, can we come in and at least have a conversation about those two things? That's right. And we're hoping to develop an undergrad level class or talking, you know, at least starting with some guest lectures uh, to students at universities and to generate um, their thought. I mean, to think about their thoughts, to, to lay out the problem just as we have done now. 
um, also get some, you know, thoughtful solutions, creative solutions from them. And just to really start the discussion, um, I, I'm personally very curious about the data on, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we're two data points. We're just two people, singular, uh, you know, just two people. Um, but to many more people, what does this actually look like? And when they hear things in a more nuanced way, where do they actually stand and what are their proposed solutions? Yeah. Every, so again, uh, back to your point about just the two of us, and I, I don't, I've only got a limited number of data points, but in general, what I've found is once the conversation begins, it's a completely different conversation. You and I both know somebody that's uh, teaching a guest, guest, he's guest lecturing out at Stanford and he's teaching a course on the future of warfare and autonomous systems. And he's been, he's been so pleasantly surprised by people coming into his class that had no idea what they were getting into and they loved the discussion because they never had the discussion. They didn't know what the military was doing. They made some assumptions that turned out to be mostly invalid because they just they just guessed. They didn't know anybody in the military, but they have some military people in the class. The conversation starts and all of a sudden you do fight, start finding that common ground. So uh, the reason I'm so so happy to work with you is, first of all, you are really a tech person. I, I am not, but you, you are a true tech person. And by the way, paid political announcement, MIT's 35 innovators under 35. So so uh, you are a remarkable person and have done so much. So you you can speak with authority on this subject. And together, what we want to do is at the undergraduate level is begin to generate these discussions at places like I'll start with what Berkeley, MIT, Harvard, Stanford, of course, uh, maybe me uh, finding a, an entry point to somewhere like North Carolina State University since I just got my master's degree there. And why, why are we talking about undergraduate level? I think in some cases, the earlier we can, we can have a discussion, the better for everybody. Uh, there are some people that are just set and they're not going to change their views. They've either been in tech for so long or they've been in the military for so long. They have very strong opinions one way or the other, and it's hard to change those opinions. The earlier we can do this, the better. So, uh, you know, any thoughts about what else we should be doing in this, in this, you know, we're going to say we're going to start with a, with a, with a course or a class. And maybe if, if enough, we get enough great feedback or positive feedback, constructive criticism. We expand it into a semester long course. What do you think? Yeah, that's right. And I hope that listeners here, if you're interested to, to please reach out to us, right? Because um, we're excited to do this and uh, we really want to make impact uh, on this collaboration over time. And, and we want to involve other people. We want to hear other voices. Yeah. So what, what I'm interested in hearing is, is if you have feedback, we'd like to hear about it. Uh, I, I can't change everybody's opinion. And, and, and there are people in the military who, who feel very strongly that there is one way it's the military way. I'm not one of those people. I believe we should be adapting to the way that the world around us has changed uh, so much in the last, just in the last decade. And on the other hand, I, I, I'm sure there are some people in, in the tech industry who just um, are adamant that they don't support any work with the military. But I think the overall, I really do think that's a very small percentage. And you and I have talked, Sharon, there's a, Rand just came out with a report and Rand has looked at this, this so-called uh, divide between the government and tech industry. They found in some cases, of course, there's still uh, some substantial differences of, of attitude and opinion, but it was a little overblown in, in, in the data they received. And surprising to me uh, was that in many cases, they were finding just nobody knew anybody in the military. There were more people from foreign militaries in tech industry than from the U.S. military, which is both fascinating and a little bit alarming that they're so 
so few people of making this transition. So I think what both of us are interested in seeing is, can we do better at this cross flow? How do we do that? Where can we start getting some good ideas? And to me and to you, I think we're talking about you know, begin at the undergrad level and then and see what happens from there. Yeah, it's really about this cross pollination between these two very different worlds, right? DC and, and Silicon Valley. So um, I hope we can be the seed of that. And I also want to call out uh, people who are working at this intersection as well. Uh, so you mentioned Brad Boyd, his amazing class at Stanford. Um, please take it if you're at Stanford. Uh, there's also the Carnegie Institute, which we've both um, been involved in, in in some ways. That's doing a great job at um, bringing people together, like uh, Matt Sheehan um, and the like. Uh, and Eric Schmidt is also pioneering a lot of efforts um, through his his organizations to um, ensure that this collaboration does happen more and more. Um, so there are a lot of people at this intersection, um, not just us. Uh, and I, I would love to, you know, call them out on on their great work as well. Yeah, that's I love that too because there are people who are who are, who have started this and. Uh, it, it, there are more to come and, and they just don't get even enough attention, enough visibility, enough publicity. What we want to do is, is find those people and bring them into this effort over time uh, because there's just, there, you can't get enough of it in, in the way it is. I think the more conversations we have, the better for everybody. It will just sort of bring these things out in the open. Uh, for me, you know, I'm, I'm old. Let's just say I'm senior enough to, <laughs> to, to really have been very surprised very disappointed by people saying, we don't want to work with you. I ha I just couldn't understand why. I could understand the views of people, but to me, I grew up in a world where that never happened. It was, we're in this together. But look, we're in a different world today. So uh, I'd like to hear from the people that are a generation uh Younger than I am saying, no, 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 this is really what we're concerned about. And, and Sharon, you said this, you know, sort of what are our each individual values? And the military comes with this idea of we're, we're all part of this greater team and this idea of sacrifice and all that. But there are everybody has a different value system. So let's, where, where are those that we could agree on? And maybe if, if, if there's disagreement, could we get a little bit closer together? So, I, so I, I would like to hear from anybody who's got some ideas on how to do this, or if you know of other people that are out there that, that are doing this successful and you've been impressed by what they're doing to, to close this divide or gap between tech and government, please let us know about them. And I think we even have an, an email address. Do we not, yes. Sharon? <laughs> AIDODConversations at gmail.com. So drop us a note there. That's AIDODConversations at gmail.com. That's good, and and I and I and I hope we get some positive positive feedback on this, and uh, we look forward to doing this together. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jack, for joining me today. Sharon, thank you. Thanks, thanks, thanks for being willing to to work with me on this, and and, and for your your passion for helping to 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 address this, which is a very very important challenge for the government and tech industry over the next few years. So, thank you very much. 